what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. I got a beautiful feeling. Everything's going my way. It's quite a process when you create choreography. I mean, you have to do research and more research and more research. You have to, you have to come up with the steps. You have to create every single movement. It's pretty exciting. It's pretty exciting. When I finally let go of performing and, and gave into, if you, if you will, choreography, because it's something I've been wanting to do for years, I was able to, to just tell the story as, as a choreographer. And I work closely with the director to tell her vision and the musical director because the only way I'm going to be able to choreograph a piece of dance is by becoming one with the music. And so by breaking down the music and storyboarding the music into beats, because music, if you listen to it, it tells a story. That was choreographer Parker Essie talking about Arena Stage's recent revival of Rodgers and Hammerstein's 1943 groundbreaking play, Oklahoma. Welcome to Artworks, the program that goes behind the scenes with some of the nation's great artists to explore how art works. I'm your host, Josephine Reed. Oklahoma tells a very simple story about a cowboy named Curly and his romance with a farm girl called Lori, who's torn between her love for Curly and her attraction to the malevolent farmhand Judd. And for comic relief, we also get the sweet, dopey cowboy Will Parker, just returned from Kansas City to win the heart of the equally sweet, if flirtatious, Adu Annie. The action is set in 1906, just as the Oklahoma Territory is becoming a state. What made Oklahoma stand out was that for the first time in musical theater, every element of the show was dedicated to moving the story forward. The music, the lyrics, and the dancing had to develop character and advance the action. And this was a charge that the current choreographer Parker Essie took to heart. While he knew the iconic dances created by the play's original choreographer Agnes DeMille, he was determined to make the dancing in this production his own. Agnes DeMille is one of our greats. Storytelling through dance started with these early shows, right? So. I should tip my hat. I should pay homage to her. But I really felt in order to tell the grittiness, the dirt under the fingernails, the vision that Molly Smith had with our Oklahoma, I needed permission to do my own work. And she did. I didn't even have to ask for it because when Molly talked to me about coming on board with this production, she said, I want you. I want your strengths. I want everything you and your energy will bring to this production because you have the the athleticism, you have the passion, you have the technique to tell our story. And so I said, great, Molly. If you believe in me, I'm, I'm going to deliver. And yes, I, I, I've done research over the years and researched Agnes's work, Michael Kidd's work, you know, Michael Bennett, Bob Fosse. They all influenced me as a choreographer, but I wanted to tell my own story. And speaking to my mentors about, you know, taking on this huge, huge show, they said, just do your homework, do your research, and don't worry about Agnes DeMille. She'll be smiling down. She'll be enjoying this. Go for it. And 
I felt like I could fly. I felt like I could do whatever I wanted to do. Um, if you think about it, if you break it down and you think, oh my goodness, it's a 14-minute ballet, that's a lot of dance. You know, it's daunting. But the minute you press play and listen to the music, as a choreographer, it just takes me there. I just break down beat by beat story. As an actor, I break it down, and then it, the steps will just come. They just come. They flow. And what, what beautiful music to work with. Did you use any of DeMille's choreography? When, when somebody asked me early on, how much of the DeMille choreography am I going to use? I said, well, no disrespect, but none of it. I really feel like if we're going to tell this story and we're going to go for it, I have to do my own work. But many times what choreographers will do is they'll tip their hat, if you will, to, to other choreographers because they, you know, they pave the way. You're, you're following along in their, their footsteps, their path, and it's your job to then take the next, take the next step, right? There's one, there's one, you want me to tell you a secret? Okay, there's one moment, one itty-bitty moment in the, ba- in the 14-minute ballet, and it's one gesture, and it's when Curly comes in to the scene and lifts Lori's chin up to look at her in the eyes. That one little gesture of him, him touching her chin and lifting it up so they can look eye to eye is Agnes DeMille. Other than that, I didn't use one step in the show. But I also wanted to be respectful and, and give a little taste of what she, what she had, you know, because her work was gorgeous, you know, and it was revolutionary for dance and, and musical theater. From looking at the show, I was also struck by how appropriate the dances seemed for not only that era, but that place. You know, I had to go back and look at what was happening at the turn of the century. What styles were being used? You know, what, what were people familiar with? And, and, and in Oklahoma, in the middle of a prairie, what were they dancing? And it was pretty raw and basic. They knew of the waltz. They didn't know the Charleston. They didn't know the swing. You know, they didn't know any of those styles that we all know as a modern audience. So I had to go back and find out what basic styles they knew, and then I had to expand upon those styles. It was quite complex, because if you, if you think about the show, and it's mentioned that Will Parker comes back from Kansas City, and he's learned the two-step and the rag, okay? Well, I had to be true to the text of the script, and as a choreographer, show that, okay? But Josephine, in doing that research, the two-step was pretty basic. I, I looked at four different versions of what I thought a good two-step would be in the time period to use, and then I, I took my own style and vocabulary of steps, and I developed a number out of it, you know, a production number out of it. Same thing with the ragtime. I took my favorite steps, and then I collaborated with my Will Parker, the star of you know Kansas City, to see what looked best on his body, too. Because the only way my choreography will tell a story is if it's cohesive through my dancers. So in, in researching the two-step and the ragtime, I then had pages of vocabulary and notes to then take and shape a dance number. Once the music starts playing, it all unfolds. My mind starts to dream, and I start to picture how it all should lay out. 
and how I want to tell a story from the moment the music starts to the, the moment the music ends. And it's my job as a choreographer to further the plot. Wherever we left off at that moment of, you know, of the scene and the script, I have to take the audience to their next takeoff place. I have to get them through to the next moment in the show. Because the only reason to sing and dance is because you can't expect, you know, express yourself through spoken word. And that's where my job comes in. My job comes in to take, take people even further into the story. And it's so exciting. It's so exciting to be able to do that through dance. You mentioned that you'd done a lot of research, but researching how people were dancing at the turn of the 20th century is a little problematic. It's not as though you can look at a film. How did you figure this out? It's interesting. Photographs tell a lot, because even if something's not notated, you know, in text or through video, um, there are early pictures of the turn of the century and how people looked that I could go, well, if their body is shaped that way, they probably would move this way, you know, and I have to do a lot of that imagining and creating myself and, and make sure it doesn't look contemporary. It doesn't look like the swing or 60s or 50s jive. It doesn't, I, I have to make sure that it feels authentic. I mean, if you, if you think about Oklahoma and how strong these people were and how they were survivors, they were trying to create their own, own life in this new land. And they had to be tough. And they, they were all hard workers, the men and women. And so how would they move? How would their feet hit the floor? Would, it be light, would they be light on their feet or would they be heavy on the heel? You know, that influenced my choreography. I use this term called eat nails. You know, be that tough that you can eat nails. All right? That's how they dance. And that's how I thought those men would move back then. They've got all this work to do. They're, they're bailing hay, right? They're rope and steers. I mean, they're, they are tough. They're on a horse. They're on a horse. A right. 12 hours a day. And the women, think of all the chores they do and how strong they are. I mean, they do so much. And so I thought, well, then they have to get down and dirty, too, when they dance. They, they can't just be pretty little cookie-cutter dancers. So when we go into you know, the square dance and Farmer and Cowmen, they have to equally match each other in their technique and their, their strength on stage. Those men are strong, you know, but those women can turn and whip those turns around just as fast as the men. It's that grit. You know, that strength that I felt from these photographs at the turn of the century that I thought, okay, I've got to physicalize that. So I just went for it because I didn't have a lot to draw on other than maybe how Agnes DeMille did it when she first did Oklahoma, and I didn't want to do that. What always fascinates me about choreography is that collaboration between choreographer and dancer because dances are made on people. Right, and you can have one idea Right? As a choreographer, you have one idea and you create a style and a passage of dance. And then you get in the room with these dancers and you start putting it on their bodies, right? But then it may not work. So you have to be able to be open to change it because it's my job as a choreographer to make these dancers look good and tell the story. I think in musical theater, to be true to the art form of acting, singing, and dancing within one show that all three tell the story. And otherwise, it's just steps. 
you know, you, you can do steps for days. But unless it tells the right story and it's authentic to the time period, if it doesn't do that, it's out of place. Well, and most particularly with Oklahoma, because this was the turning point in American musical theater. That's right. Where suddenly That's right. singing and dancing did all come together to tell a story. Absolutely. I mean, look at the 14-minute dream ballet at the end of Act One. There's no spoken word. It is all storytelling. And, and you know, through Showboat and Oklahoma paving the way, dance had permission to do that in a musical. Well, let's talk about that ballet because it's probably one of the most famous dance sequences of American theater. Absolutely. This was the ballet is seen through Lori's eyes because it's her dream. And what she's going through when she falls into this deep state of sleep is she's torn. She's torn, you know, between who she thinks her true love is, Curly, and then who she's tempted by in a very sensuous way with Judd. And so what an opportunity to show the romantic side and the more risque, dangerous side of Judd. You know, that good girl that wants to hop on the Harley Davidson motorcycle. That's what she does with Judd when, she, when she's close to him. And it was important from the minute the music began to tell her story. I chose to, rather than just fall into sleep, I chose to wake up into, into life. And so at the top of the ballet... Dream Lori wakes up into the dream and she's flying through space and then there's Dream Curly who who she thinks that's my love that's who I want to be with and and she she's really able to give herself into Curly and the romanticism of what life would be with him whereas in the play up to this point she doesn't allow herself to do that where has he been for all those weeks? He's been he's been off, and he's, you know, I had to do my own my own research within the text of the play to say, well, why is she playing so hard to get, or why is you know why isn't she? Why don't you just say, I love you, Curly. Yes, I want to be with you. Everybody thinks we should. We're the talk of the town. Everybody wants us to be together, you know. But well, that there would be no stakes in the show, right? So she she plays hard to get. She really wants to go to the box social with him, but she resists. And then Judd asks her, and she doesn't want to let him down for whatever reason that's going on in the back of her head. So all of that built-up tension between Laura and these two men comes out in the ballet. And it also then sets up the rest of the play. It sets up act two. What's going to happen at the box social when she ends up going there with Judd? How is she going to confront Curly? What is her bond going to be with him now? Is, is Judd completely out of the picture? Does she still have some fascination with Judd? Or is she really wholeheartedly going to go for Curly? So that's what I hope the audience is thinking. At the end of Act 1, when they come back to see Act 2, is, oh my goodness, what is she going to do now? The Fish Handler is a theater in the round. The audience sits literally around the stage. What was it like choreographing for Theater in the Round? Thrilling. Thrilling, because you, you're not only dancing with your whole body, your face, you're, you're, you're performing you know, to the people in front of you, but your back is dancing. You know, it, 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 is, it is so crucial to, to be breathing out of every single pore, every single pore of your body when you dance. 
I, I talk to dancers about about force suspension relaxation when they dance. It's the it's just the the dynamics. It's so crucial that your body be continually in motion, whether it's in isolation, it's it's always it's always breathing and and moving because people behind you are getting the show too. And I constantly keep it moving. It's it's a gift to be in the round because that's reality. That's real life. We don't talk to one another and and stay flat. We move around. And so it's it's just as if we're in real life dancing. And not to mention the the space you can travel and the different layers that the audience can really see and all the reveals. You know, one thing turns into another and and patterns reveal another another form. It's quite exciting to be in the round. I thought Oklahoma had an extraordinary set. As an audience member, I felt as though I was sitting in a big barn, and I really, really liked that the orchestra was up in what would be the hayloft. Did that set influence your choreography at all? Did you work with the set designer? Oh, yes. It was exceptional. Early on in the, in the design meetings, I went up to Providence, Rhode Island, to visit Eugene Lee, the set designer, um, at his studio, and we sat down with his first model of the set, and it looked like a playground for a choreographer. I mean, I, I looked at it and I thought, oh my goodness, you know, where you're building the barn, you know, where the where the band orchestra's going to be, that's fantastic. Can you give me a little bit more scaffolding up top, and then I'll have Will Parker, you know, climb it. You know, we'll use those found elements, and, we'll, and I'll, I'll use it. And I said, so you're doing some rigging here? Well, can that plank actually be a slide? Because then I can have someone slide down. What a great delivery to the stage that would be. And he was like, yes, yes, do it. And so that he, he redesigned that plank to make it a slide, and then it became a brick slide that I would use practically, you know, to help build, you know, the schoolhouse, um, but also for Will Parker to slide down for Ado Annie to stand up on, to deliver Curly's Oklahoma. Also, these fantastic voms on all four corners that deliver the life of the theater, right? The, all the actors coming to stage said, well, let's, if you're going to take that up there, can you make this railing a split rail fence? Because then our leading man will come around that windmill and he'll sit and, and just be that cowboy sitting on the fence. And, and he said, sure. And then can he slide on it? Can, can someone stand on it? Can we swing from it? Can we, you know, all those ideas start to, you know, come in those, those first meetings. And we collaborate together. And, and it was fantastic. Well, Surrey with the fringe on top was charming. Just charming. Thank you. Stereotypically, Ann Eller's out there with a the butter churn. Okay? Yeah. That's the way it opens. That's the way it opens. That's, and that actually... Eugene, you know, our first meeting up in Providence, he said, oh, look at this antique butter churn I found. Okay. And I went, oh, well, that's, that's beautiful. That's great. Molly's going to love it. That's great. And I said, but let's, let's talk about what else can we do that, that's, that's unexpected. And I mean, what are, you know, what are the different chores that everybody does? We started brainstorming about all these chores that, that happen on a farm in, in the morning. For people who haven't seen the show, we should say that the show opens with Aunt Eller doing laundry and she's at a wash tub that has wheels on it 
and a top that comes down. And this is what turns into the Surrey that Curly wheels around the stage. Exactly. And it's charming. Thank you. And, and the laundry lines. I mean, I, I, I said, well, can we have laundry lines that go the length of the stage? And then, and then they can turn into the reins and the clothes hanging from the lines or the horses. And he just, he just said, yes, you can have whatever you want. Made it, you know, made it happen, designed it for me. And that wash tub, once I talked to Chuck Fox um, and props here and explained, well, you know, it, I'd love it if the seat could be, you know, on top. And then, you know, whatever the baskets sitting on could be the, the you know, the stepping. He's like, oh, got it. And then they took, they went away and did their artistry and they're, they're masters at it. You know, they know what they're doing. Then I had a Surrey. And then, you know, she got to be swept off her feet. Literally. Literally. That vision made it to the stage. Well, what, what's so interesting and just wonderful about that moment is that not only do we see why Laurie is in love with Curly, but the audience is charmed by him. We're just completely swept away at that moment by him. That's great. Yeah. That's great because that's, that's where we need to be at that moment in the play. It's like a little mini dream right there. You know, it's so romantic and she's swept off her feet, but then... Then when she doubts him, wait a second, Curly, are you really going to deliver? You know, and she, she turns on him and she questions it. And because he's probably promised things before and not delivered. Well, he's a cowboy. Right? He's a farmer. Exactly. Where have you been for those two <laughs> weeks? You said you were going to come back. So it's important to, to just build, 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 and then take it away. Yeah, I made it all up. Dashboard and all. What attracted you to musical theater? Okay. I started really, really young. My, well, given your resume, I hope to I, God. <laughs> okay, ready? I, when I was five years old, my, my sister, who was five years older than me, she was 10, took this musical theater class. And each semester, they would put on a show. And it was Oliver. And I had to sing, Who Will Buy? Was, I had to sing for an audition. I cried. I was terrified. I didn't want to stand up in front of anyone and sing at five years old. I was like, what is this? And then when I got to actually get up and move around and dance and sing and connect with people, the audience, I thought, this is really cool. Oh, look, they're laughing at me. You know, because I was so young, I was looking at all of their faces out in the audience and did they like me? Did they, were they entertained? Did they feel something? So as a five-year-old, I thought, I have an opportunity to change somebody. I, have an op- I know that sounds deep for a five-year-old, but, but I, I was like, oh, I, I can entertain them. I can make them happy, or I can make them sad, or I can, you know, wherever they, however they felt before they came into theater, I'm going to change them. I'm going to change them when they walk out the door. They're going to feel something different. And I fell in love. I fell in love with musical theater. And it was an opportunity to, for me, Josephine, it's, my, it's kind of my mission in life. It's my mission in life to affect people that way. And musical theater is such, it's, it's an American art form that is a true American art form. And it's inception that we thrive on. We need, no matter what else is going on around the world, right? Or in our our daily lives, politics, war, you know, whatever. We can go see musical theater and be swept away. We can 
get lost in a story. We can hear music and it take us somewhere we never thought we'd go. We can see dance and it can change us and affect our spirit. And just, and that's why I do it. I do it because I, I want I want to share and I want I want people to feel feel something deep inside. And if and if I'm not in that place, if I'm not in that open place when I'm creating, it doesn't work for me. And I always tell my dancers when we start working on a number, I tell I tell everyone, I said, Okay, if you're in this room with me, you have to be open. You have to be open because the more open you are, the more my work will will inspire you and you're gonna inspire me because it just unfolds. It's magical. Otherwise, like I said earlier on, it's just dance. It's just steps. Shuffle ball change. Yeah, but how do you do that shuffle ball change? How do you feel inside? What kind of what kind of story are you trying to tell? You know, how are you going to take the audience on that ride? Parker, thank you. Thank you, Josephine. That was choreographer Parker Essie talking about the recent revival of Oklahoma at the Arena Stage. You've been listening to Artworks, produced at the National Endowment for the Arts. Adam Campy is the musical supervisor. Excerpts from Oh, What a Beautiful Morning, sung by Nicholas Rodriguez. And excerpts from Oklahoma, sung by the full cast. Both from the play Oklahoma, produced by the Arena Stage. Music by Richard Rogers, lyrics by Oscar Hammerstein, used courtesy of Arena Stage. The Artworks podcast is posted every Thursday at www.arts.gov. And now you can subscribe to Artworks at iTunes U. Just click on Beyond Campus and search for the National Endowment for the Arts. Next time, a conversation with MacArthur Genius Grant recipient Sebastian Ruth. To find out how art works in communities across the country, keep checking the Artworks blog or follow us at NEA Arts on Twitter. For the National Endowment for the Arts, I'm Josephine Reed. Thanks for listening. No!